As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello and welcome to, or welcome back to, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Loyal listeners may remember that a few months back, Kevin Brandon and myself hosted an episode of the podcast that we treated sort of like an open Q&A session. It was our take on how to improve in various facets of your game on the racetrack. This week's episode is sort of an extension of that same idea. Joining me today are my two co-instructors within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, Kevin, along with our most recent addition to the Elite team, five-time NHRA world champion, Justin Lamb. By the end of today's show, kind of our goals are, we hope, number one, that you leave here at least a little bit better racer for just having been part of the discussion. And while we're confident that we can accomplish that goal, we do realize that this is an hour-long podcast, okay? We're going to scratch the surface on some of the topics that we discuss basically every day within This Is Bracket Racing Elite. So our secondary goal is to provide a bit of a snippet of what our elite members enjoy on a regular basis within the exclusive community. If you're listening to this and you're foreign to This Is Bracket Racing Elite, you're wondering, well, what is that to begin with? We'll go a little bit deeper into what's involved later on, but here's the basics. Our mission within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, honestly similar to that of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, is to promote the future of Sportsman Drag Racing through education and empowerment. So if you like the podcast, I have a feeling you'd be blown away by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Elite is an exclusive membership community full of hundreds of racers just like you from all walks of life, all areas of North America, all forms of sportsman drag racing, all levels of experience and success. And all of our members share a common passion for our sport and a desire to be the best version of themselves within it. The group is led by Kevin, Justin, myself, and features regular trainings, discussions, videos, written blogs, interviews, accountability challenges, 
and much, much more, all designed with one aim in mind, improving our on-track game one day at a time. So before we get started today, let me to introduce my guys, in my opinion, two of the best racers in the world. Former NHRA and IHRA world champion, multi-time big dollar bracket winner, Kevin Brandon. We call him KB. KB, I know we did this last time, but for our listeners that may not be as familiar with you, give us a brief background, like your introduction to racing. What are your earliest memories from the track? Man, I've been around it my whole entire life. Um, my mom raced and my dad raced. My dad still races pretty much from the time she was actually pregnant with me in a, in a stock truck running no box. Um, I've been racing, I've been around it my whole entire life. So that's where I love it. Um, even met my wife racing. So it's a passion for me. I just love being at the racetrack. I've met most of all my friends that are all at the racetrack. It's just something I really enjoy. And I've been fortunate enough to be around some really good people in racing. I worked for Scott for seven or eight years at par and learned so much from him for being a world champion. And then being involved with Scott, I, I met Peter and Anthony and then obviously all the help I get from you, Luke, and then being involved with Justin and Kyle and them too. I've been around a lot of great people and it really taught me so much. Being able to be around you guys like that has is, is taught me so much and being able to share my experiences with other racers and help them become better racers it's just a really great passion that i have i enjoy helping others and that's why i like being an elite so much to see the people do good and go out there and learn from it it's just it's an awesome feeling yeah you kind of jumped into a uh, part two of my question there was was you've been a part of this is record racing elite now for like almost two years right to bring us kind of full circle in a little in a bit of a way from what you talked about earlier like why did you ultimately decide to join our team and, and what appeals to you so much about this is bracket racing elite? It's the part of just being able to help people. I, people have come up to me and what a, the information I've learned from par and being able to build motors. People come to me a lot and needs, and when they need some help or a little bit of guidance and for me to be able to help them and then see it go out there and do good and just the enjoyment people get out of it. I, I just really love that part. And being able to work with you guys is a lot of fun. I enjoy it. All right. If you're listening to the podcast, you're probably familiar with me. You should be familiar with Kevin by this point. And if you're not at least familiar with the name, Justin Lamb, you've probably tuned into the wrong show. Uh, Justin, five-time NHRA world champion, winner of six different NHRA categories, and probably the baddest dude I've ever watched on the bottom ball. Justin's been on the podcast before. And if you're listening to the podcast, as I mentioned, you're certainly aware of his work. But Justin, if you would, for those of us not as familiar with your story, tell us a little bit about your introduction to the sport, kind of where it all got started for you. I guess my start came uh, more or less from the junior drag racing league. My dad, uh, you know, he was always into fast cars. We had fast boats, he owned drag boats for a while. And uh, when I was young, he got me a junior dragster. I was eight years old. And really, that's kind of where it all started. You know, I progressed to the juniors, got a big cars. I My first car was a bottom ball car, and then I had a super gas car. And as far as cars between then and now, there's there's been a lot and you know, a lot of different classes. So the cool thing is I've been very fortunate enough to um, to race a lot of those different classes, and uh, I feel like it's really taught me a lot. So Good stuff. And as we mentioned, you've just joined the elite community here within the last month. What appeals to you so much about sharing what you've learned and working with other racers in their pursuit of reaching their own goals? 
it's a pretty cool story. Uh, I mean, you know it, obviously, but what really made me want to join Elite, I did that interview for uh, after I won a championship a year ago, and uh, you basically uh, gave me access to Elite more to answer questions in regards to the video that we recorded. And so originally I went in there with the thought like, hey, I'm just going to kind of go in here and, uh, and answer questions if necessary, whatever. Well, one thing led to another, and I started paying attention to all these trainings and videos and everything being posted. And a lot of stuff that I really already knew, but I haven't thought about in a while or some stuff I didn't know. Or I never thought about it from that perspective, uh, things like that. So it made me realize like, wow, this is a really cool deal. So at first I went in thinking like, what am I going to learn? Like I just won a couple championships in a couple years, like whatever. And I was really shocked. Like I have a lot to learn as we all do. And, uh, and it was a really cool environment. I, I love like the camaraderie of the group. And uh, it's, a, it's a lot of really great people. You know, when you obviously asked to bring me on uh, as an instructor, it was a no-brainer for me. I, I thought that the, uh, you know, you know I, I also enjoy helping people, you know, as Kevin touched on. And I've had so many people help me. The people that do know my story, obviously, Pete and Kyle helped me from day one and are really responsible for a lot of my success. So them helping me, it, it really has portrayed into like, you know what, like, I almost need to like pay it forward if that makes sense, you know, like, and this is a way to do that. So, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we've got some really cool, I think some interesting topics, some stuff that'll benefit just about everybody that's listening in some regard. And we'll get to that. But before we get really into the nitty gritty, and obviously that for most of you is the reason that you're listening, a quick few words about This Is Bracket Racing Elite, not from me, not from Kevin, not from Justin but from one of our many satisfied members. This is longtime member Eric Paterka. My name's Eric Paterka, and I have been a member of This Is Bracket Racing Elite for the entire 2018 season. The last race of my 2017 season was one of the most frustrating and expensive weekends at the racetrack in my 20-plus years of drag racing. I decided that if I wanted to improve my results and reach the next level, I needed to make a change. I joined Elite to improve the off-track portion of my racing program. Things like car setup, dialing strategy, and mental preparation. Luke personalized my training by pointing out specific material that I should focus on based on where I felt I needed to improve. My off-track adjustments became an immediate booster to my on-track performance. At the last two races of 2018, I laid down performances that could have won anywhere. There's no doubt that Elite played a major role in this season's improvements. If you're considering joining, you will not be disappointed. There is no more effective way to improve your racing program than this is Bracket Racing Elite. We asked for this both on the podcast and within This is Bracket Racing Elite, and you listeners responded. We've got some excellent topics to cover. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Kevin and Justin back in here and, and we're just going to shoot from the hip. So first question we got is actually a, uh, a tech related question. Door car driver says, I've got a four link A-arm car that runs five sixties in the eighth mile with a small block Chevrolet. Can you give me a baseline setup for the four link shocks, etc.?" So I don't know which one of you wants to start here, if you want to lead this in, Justin, but uh, I think we can all weigh in on this a little bit. Yeah, I'll definitely start on this one. Uh, 560 door car is like kind of in my wheelhouse. I mean, that's obviously what my Cobalt is, small block, things like that. But 
obviously this is a very broad topic. I mean, you start from the front, work your way back, however you want to do it. But the, the one thing that uh, I want to mention, especially when it comes to door cars is, is how important front suspension is. Like you can have, you can have the four link or ladder bar, or whatever you may have in the rear, pretty messed up, but, and it'll still work if the, if the front suspension is right, if that makes sense. You know, like, uh, I know the cars I drive, the front suspension is absolutely everything. From stock eliminator, my super stalker, you know, like top sportsman cars, things like that. It's just the, the, the front end is so important. And uh, so I guess my suggestion would be to make sure that the front end is right. Make sure the suspension is, is free, working as it should. You have the right springs. You know, spring rate is huge. Like it's something that, you know, I didn't realize when I was getting started. For instance, like I had a, at the time a set of just generic front springs in the front of my 70 Camaro. And uh, it's more of a 650 car, just, just to mention that. But I had a set of, uh, you know, regular old coils that I just cut to get the ride height right, blah, blah, blah. Well, come to find out, they didn't have much stored energy, right? And so here I'm trying to get this car to leave the starting line and get the front end up. And it wouldn't. I mean, this, the, the front spring, I could have the, I, mean, I could literally make a run with no front shot. I had like 90 tens on the front of it where it, it was essentially like had no shock on the rebound, still wouldn't do a wheelie. And uh, it got to the point when I really got the right front springs in the car, I was having to put tighter shocks in to keep it from doing too big of a wheelie, if that makes sense. And so I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it with, you know, cars of my own or friends' cars where, I mean, you could have a, a mediocre rear suspension or, or you know, a four-length setup, whatever. But if you have that front end working right, it's a really big deal. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You kind of stole my thunder there because I feel like most racers – focus almost exclusively on the back end and like you said my experience has been that if you get the front end right you got a lot of uh variance like you got a lot of wiggle room you could have the back kind of messed up and if it's as long as it's transferring weight and allowing it to pitch rotate you can get away with a lot so i'm with you and to me the first step is to just make that front end as free as possible kind of like you had talked about. And then when you get to the point that the wheel stands almost uncontrollable or it's trying to flip it over backwards, then you can talk about limiting travel or stiffening things up to try to make it get back the other way. Specific to the, the four link portion of this, like the rule of thumb that I've always gone by, and this may be way, way oversimplified, but it was explained to me once and it makes sense and it has worked and everything I've applied it to. But if you were to say, draw out your car you know, on the shop floor and without getting super detailed in terms of, of, uh, drawing out the four link and everything like that, if you're just, just draw a straight line from the center line of the rear axle to the bottom of the front tire and use that as your reference point. Then when you map out the four link intersect point, if your intersect point is essentially below that line, then the instinct of the car is going to be to kind of drop the tire out and raise up into a wheel stand, which is, what you want specific to this situation, like a 560 eighth mile car. If on the other hand, you have the intersect point further out and or higher up and you are to the top side or the left side of that line, then your car is going to drive out more like a, like a pro stalker, which is more what you want if you've got a full tube car and a ton of power. So as a general baseline, like that's always been my starting point. But again, I don't think you can emphasize enough like in my mind, the front suspension is far more important than the rear suspension, at least starting off. Like once you get that right, then you can monkey with the rest of it. But I would, I think most racers tend to start in the back and I would urge you to start in the front. Yeah, I agree with that also. I, 
I really think the front is the key to most door cars. Uh, you know, when you get a really high horsepower stuff, obviously that'll change, but I don't feel like in like the bracket world, uh, you know, or even any trade world till you really get to like top sportsman, something like that is the case. You know, when it comes to stock limiter, super stock, obviously the average bracket car, I, I really think that the front end is so important in, in every aspect of it, you know, shocks, springs, everything. It's, it's just very important. You know, the, the next thing is, you know, when you get that front end loose and you're doing that big wheel stand, now you got to catch it when it falls, right? So <laughs> there's a whole other aspect of that, like getting a shock to, to make it land correctly where you're not bouncing down the track a couple times when it lands from the wheel stand. So there, there's so much to it. And, uh, but, but yeah, definitely. Basic four-link setup is key, and then get that front end right. You can fine-tune it from there. All right, we'll move on to our next question. Uh, one of our listeners writes in, this is actually a, a scenario, and I love stuff like this. So question is, I am in a quarter-mile bracket race. My opponent is dialed nine flat. I just ran 750. In previous runs, I had run 747 twice, and then 748 three times in a row prior to that last round, where again... A guy went 750. The question is, against this nine-flat opponent, what should I dial and how should I approach the round? KB, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, surprise, surprise, huh? You know how I feel about this top end. If I'm in doubt, my best case scenario for me, I'm going to dial up. So if I just went 750, I'm going to dial at least 755 and give myself a chance. Um, I feel like if I dial 50 and it doesn't repeat and it goes back to 47, 48, I feel like for me, it does. It's so hard to make that decision catching them so late. That big mile an hour difference you got with a 750 car and a nine flat is it makes the job a whole lot harder. The sooner you get there, the sooner you're going to be able to see this situation. And, and to me, in my opinion, being the faster car, it plays in my favor to to be able to get there sooner and see the race play out better. Justin, how would you approach it? Well, it's going to be the complete opposite to an extent. One of two ways. I think I would either. I guess my preferred way would be to figure out why I just made the slow run. So if at all possible, I would try to determine like, you know, what happened was, you know, was the tranny hot? Was there something on the track? Was there a headwind, a tailwind? Like what caused it to run that? And then determine if that cause is going to happen again. So, you know, you just picked up a headwind and slowed down two hundreds and the headwind's still there, then just dial for it, obviously. But on the flip side of that, if there's no logical explanation as to why it happened and you can't figure it out, I, I really think my game plan would be to dial for the slower run, knowing that if I'm getting there with any room to kill, I at that point need to kill the 200s that, that I'm potentially going under. So I'm not sure if I'm explaining that correctly, but, but the bottom line is, I mean, even though you're chasing a car by a substantial amount, you're going to know by a thousand foot, yeah, I'm absolutely getting to them or not. And if you are, you just need to make sure you kill those 200s regardless it's not even as much like you need to take it by five thousand or eight thousand or less or whatever the number it's more you you're more than likely going under and you need to kill the 200s that you're potentially holding because the car's back to the fast run yeah that makes sense it's funny when i listen to those because you could hear what you said kevin what you suggested and say like wow those are polar opposite approaches from two of the best racers that we could have on the podcast. And I guess that's not untrue, but here's the deal. Like this listener is asking, okay, what should he do? And that's why I think there's a ton of validity to this because what he should do is what he's most comfortable that he can execute well. And I think that's where each of your answers are rooted because I think 
if you're not 100% confident in the car in this instance, as Kevin had mentioned, it's quote unquote easier to drive the finish line here. Essentially, it's easier the more that you hold because you slow the race down, you catch your opponent earlier, and you're basically saying, I'm going to beat my opponent to the finish line by a small amount. And holding like a hundredth in that instance actually typically makes it harder than holding a tenth because you've got, what, a 20, 25 mile an hour advantage. So the more you hold, the earlier you catch that opponent, the easier it is to pace them. On the flip side, you're looking at this and throughout the day, you've had a really good car. I mean, you went 747, what, twice, 748, three times. And then for whatever reason, it backed up 750. Like Justin said, specifically, if you can justify why that 750 ran, run came in and you feel like you've got a really good handle and saying, I'm going to go back to 748 or it's going to stay on the 750. I don't have any issue with dialing that essentially feeling like you can't go under. Or as Justin said, like if you don't have a great explanation for it, you dial 750 and if you just kind of race on your toes, like if you feel like you're going by your opponent, kill the 200s because maybe it's back on the 748. All of that makes sense to me. So I think what this boils down to when you, as a racer, when you're faced with these types of decisions, in my mind, it's a simple numbers game. Like in this instance, the question really is, are you more confident in this instance that you can take the finish line by a small amount, which would lend more towards Kevin's strategy? Or are you more confident that you can match your dial in? And if you say in this instance, I really think I can take less than 200s at the finish line, and then you analyze it and say, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to run between 750 and 751. Well, odds are like you've got a smaller margin for error if you just dial 750. By the same token, if you can't rightly say, like I'm, if you think you could miss the dial in by two, three, four hundreds, and you think you can take the finish line by a hundred or less, well, then you're better off to dial up and hold. So I don't think either one's a wrong answer. It really comes down to your skill set, the situation, and how you feel the most comfortable. You guys got anything to, would you back that statement or disagree with anything that I said there? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with it a lot. I've seen this in numerous cases over the years, but one thing is it's a hundred percent to me about your comfort level and what you have confidence in. If you aren't like, let's just say the holding approach, if you're, if holding a tenth is not something that you're absolutely comfortable with, you're going to be worried about it. It's going to be on your mind. You're probably not going to hit the tree as good as you would have things like that. So, so to me, whatever it is, you have to be comfortable with it. On the flip side of that, if, if you're staging the car thinking like, man, I, I might be going two under if the car picks back up, blah, 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 you know, is, and same thing, if you, you can't worry about that. So whatever is going to give you the biggest comfort level is going to also give you the most confidence. And, you know, you definitely can't, uh, you know, you know, you can't be worried about what you're going to do down the track because it'll ultimately affect your whole entire run and your whole process. So it's really about what is the best, what you're best at, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm going to speak for Kevin here, but like, I'm going to guess if I put Kevin in one of my cars and say, listen, I'm going to pick the dial in and I pick the dial in that he's only going, you know, he's going to catch the nine second car at the last second and have to kill a hundred or two. He's probably not going to be very confident in that. And it could adversely affect his whole run. And and the flip side for me, like I'm not, I don't hold a 10th all the time. So it might, you know, I might be late worried about like, man, I got to get down there and, and kill a 10th. And, and now all of a sudden I let my guard down on the starting line. And so now I'm 30 and taking three hundreds down there. And now I'm just really screwed, you know, like, so it's, it's just a comfort thing in my opinion. 
I got another one, and this is this seems uncommon, but I get this presented to me quite a bit. The question is this, or maybe it's more of a, a statement than anything, but obviously a, a racer wanting help. It says, I race better against top-tier opponents, but often struggle against racers that I view as inferior. How can I overcome that? I'll tee this up, and you guys, whichever one of you guys wants to take it first is welcome. I'm letting Kevin go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, honestly, like nowadays, it's just so tough out there. You can't let your guard down against anybody. I mean, obviously, you know, if you go out there and you pull up beside Luke or, or somebody like Jason Lynch, I mean, you got tough competitor over there. You might pull a couple out and set up just a little bit tighter than you would. But for me personally, I'm going to set up the same every time I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to try to make the best lap I can regardless. Um, I like to try to set up. Double O between double O five and double O eight. I don't care if it's Luke beside of me or somebody that I've, that's never been down the racetrack. I'm not going to move from my game plan. You just have to be so aggressive today in bracket racing, NHRA. I mean, anybody can. Do, the equipment's so good. You, you just can't let your guard down. You got to be aggressive at all times, in my opinion. This is actually a, a question that I think could have come from one of my close racing buddies because this is his thing, absolutely. And I will readily admit that the guy that I've got in mind, I'm not going to name names, um, is like a far more talented driver than I have ever been. Like I routinely watch him do things that I don't think I'm capable of and I'm certainly not capable of consistently. And yet over the course of our careers – while he's had immense success, like my accomplishments, I think, stack up quite a bit higher. And the reason is he basically, like, if it's crazy. If you lined up, like, the 100 baddest dudes in the country, like, he, I guarantee you he wins 80, 85% of the rounds against them. But he tends to split the rounds with everybody else. And I'm the opposite. Like, I... For if you were just to categorize things, I beat most of the racers that I'm quote unquote supposed to beat, and I pretty much split with the the top upper echelon. And the reason I think I've had more success is because let's be quite frank, there's the number of quote unquote average racers is way bigger than the ones in the upper echelon, and I I, I attribute that to the fact that as Kevin said, like I just approach every round the exact same. And I don't know that my buddy necessarily doesn't, but it's very obvious that he gets up for that, other, you know, that elite competition. And when he's going through the motions, like he is as average as anybody else. And this, the difference between the two astounds me because to me, it's not about like, if I was to, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good racer, right? So if I was to run Joe Average in a best of seven, like I should win. But we don't run a best of seven. It's one round. So I'm not getting his average run necessarily. Like he's, he may swing for the fences, whatever. Like everybody's bound to make a good run every now and then. So I don't need to beat the average run. I need to go out there and be the best that I can be every single run, which has little to do with who's in the other lane. Like I'm not necessarily trying to beat an opponent as much as it is trying to do what I know I'm capable of round after round after round. So I think, I don't know that there's necessarily advice in there as much as just like that is the mental approach and outlook as to like, it's not necessarily a competition to beat the opponent in the other lane. It is a competition to make the best run that you're capable of in that specific situation. 
Yeah, I agree with that also. Uh, and, and for me, it's about either getting up or staying down as far as your mental state. So I think that there's like, I really think there's two different types of racers and some people need to get pumped up to do well and other people need to not get pumped up to not mess up, which is kind of me. Like, I mean, if I get worked up or excited about a round, I end up doing worse. You know, I have to stay like that calm, even keel. Like that's like my goal, zero emotion, zero excitement, like nothing. And, but there's other people that, that need to get up and whatever type of racer you are, I think that it's important to do that every single time. So if, if you are someone that needs to be pumped up to win that round, you need to be pumped up against everybody, Joe average and, and Luke, it doesn't matter. Everybody in between, like you need to be pumped up all the time. Or if you are calm, you need to stay calm all the time. And uh, so, so for me, I think that's, that's something that I, I think is very affected with who you race. You just have to have that same temperament, no matter what, which would then ultimately, you know, you, you'll have the same uh, record against good and bad guy or good and average guys, I should say. I think Kevin and I'll pretty much just stand down and defer this next question to, uh, to JL. But uh, question's this. Every time that I talk to a winning bottom ball bracer, I seem to get a different answer in terms of what they're looking at on the starting line. Some of them tell me that they count the bulbs. Others stare at the bottom bulb and try to essentially ignore the first two. Some block the top two bulbs completely so that they can't see anything but the bottom. What do you do? Or better yet, this uh, caller asks, what should I do? Well, that's a really loaded question because there is so many, there's so many right answers. Like, obviously I have, you know, I've made friends with a lot of people that are very good at this. And uh, it's crazy the difference in the way that everybody does it. Like, like winning drivers all can do it so differently. And the only thing that uh, I'll tell you, I will never teach anybody to do. I, I hate it. I don't like it. I wish it never even existed as blocking i think it's a very big crutch and uh i do feel like once you start using it it's hard to get away from because it's easy i mean it is until the sun goes down but uh, prior to that you know it's very easy and uh so the, the one thing i'll tell you is to never do that as far as you know as, as far as what you should do like if you're starting out or or uh you know maybe just uncertain of of your what, what your comfort level is I think it's really a matter of just finding your spot. And uh, we have a whole video on that in the practice tree challenge. Those of you that did that, but the uh, real quick version is, you know, I, I tell you to sit on your practice tree and hit the pro tree and, and get consistent on the pro tree and figure out your delay five tenths pro tree that is, and then uh, switch the ball to full tree and use that same delay number and see how you hit the tree and see what you're comfortable with. I personally follow the tree down. I don't count, but I do watch the bulbs come down. And it's something that I'm comfortable with. I don't like just staring at the bulb waiting, like, when's it coming? I almost want like those two get ready bulbs, you know, like the first bulb comes on, it's like a get ready. The second one's a placeholder, the third, third one, I hit it. And uh, so I really think it's, a, it's time on the practice tree to kind of get you going. You know, we use that pro tree just to establish your bottom bulb delay. But then once you have it, you know, you switch your practice tree over to that five tenths full tree. And I, and I really think that that's a good way to start and, and start determining your comfort level. Um, obviously, that delay is not going to always be perfect and match, but it gets you close to the point that, you know, when you switch to that full tree and, and uh, you know, if you want to count, you want to follow or you want to just stare at the bottom, whatever, you know, you think you're most comfortable with, that delay will get you to a point where you're not anticipating by 100, let's say, you know, like if, if you just turn your practice tree on full tree, 
and start trying to practice and you are following the bulbs down, it's really easy to anticipate by a lot. And, uh, you know, you, you definitely don't want to do that and you don't want uh, anticipate. You're never going to be consistent anticipating in my opinion. So you, you just need to do whatever it takes to make sure you don't anticipate the ball. So that makes sense. So what you're saying is set the delay on a pro tree where obviously you're reacting to the bulb coming on and then use that same delay slash rollout on the full tree to basically see if you're reacting to the bottom bulb coming on. Now with that in mind, are you a believer that the two numbers should match? I don't think they have to match. Do mine match? Yes. I use the same rollout, same delay, same delay, uh, is it, you're going to think it's crazy, but it doesn't like if I use a five tenths full tree and hit the top bulb, I literally add one, you know, you know, I, I have 1163 when I'm hitting the bottom, it's 163. Um, you know, it's, it, so I do use the same number, but I do think that's abnormal. I'm not so sure that most of the world uses the same number. This is just something to get you going. It's something to get you close. It, it gives you a delay number that you know, you're not anticipating because when you're hitting the pro tree, there's, you can't anticipate at that point. You know, there's no option for that. So I, I don't think it has to match. I think maybe in a perfect world, it would not. That's a bad example. I, I'm not saying I'm the way I do it is perfect. I'm just saying that numbers wise, like if this is a perfect math problem, that would make the most sense to have the same delay in both. But, but that's not going to always be the case. Yeah, no, I think I understand what you're saying there. It's a good starting point, not necessarily a, a hard and fast rule. Exactly. All right. Another question here. How I like this one too. How do you determine your racing schedule or better put, how can I determine what level to race at? Should I chase local points? Should I travel to big dollar races? Should I run NHRA classes? Lots of options out there. Um, and we've all been through this to some level, whether that's, um, you know, trying to, to, maybe not make a living in some cases make a living, but certainly try to at least profit or not have our racing cost us money. And at the same time, try to have as much fun and as much success as we can. So we've, I think all three of us have kind of run the gamut here at different points in time, but uh, interested to see what insight you guys have on this. Well, I'll go ahead and start here. I can tell you that it's changed over the years a lot. Um, obviously when I was younger, single, not married, no kids, my dad, uh, you know, very fortunately gave me the option to, to race whenever I wanted. And, and it was, I wanted to go as many races as I could. Didn't matter what it was, bracket races, local races, big money races, NHRA races. And I just wanted to simply make runs down the track nonstop. That was my thing, you know, obviously life changes substantially. And, uh, and now my schedule is very much determined number one on my skill set but then with a lot of factors. So I feel like bottom ball racing is what I'm good at on the West coast. There's not a lot of high dollar, like money races that I can do that besides NHRA. So national events tend to be my thing because for two reasons, number one, that's where I can race for a decent amount of money. And number two, that's where sponsors want me to race. So at this point in my career, I, you know, have sponsors that, you know, I have obligations to race certain events and, they like the events where the spectators are and, and where I can promote their products the most. And, and then another thing is a, a huge factor for me at this point is I, I want to go somewhere that's fun and enjoyable, not only for myself, but probably more importantly for my family. You know, like, like last summer, I mean, I basically developed my whole schedule to uh, spend time with some friends. Uh, you know, we hung out with Jag and Samantha. We, I, I basically, I went to 
Topeka, Chicago, and Norwalk. And the only reason I, I mean, I had no reason to be in Norwalk except I wanted, we wanted to spend some time with friends. And uh, Janine and the kids came with me. Uh, my wife and kids came with me, and you know, we got to go to the lake and see places we've never seen. And and I know that sounds stupid, but I, I feel like for ninety nine percent of our listeners, this is a hobby for us. And and I think you should do what you're going to genuinely have the most fun with, and and uh, hang out with the people you want to hang out with. Like I've made tons of lifelong friends, and and uh, so if I if I get two races on the same weekend, I, I'm probably going to lean towards, yeah, I'm going to try to be the one that pays the most money. But let, let's just say all things are equal. I'm going to go to the one where my friends are at and where my family is going to have the most fun because, you know, I mean, it takes my family's support to be able to do this. And uh, so the more fun they have, the easier it is for me to race. And and uh, I, I think that should be a big factor in in your race schedule. Yeah, um, for me, this has kind of been a change in decision, I guess you would say. Like when I first started out in the big car, I, I wanted to run my local points um, and run as many big races as I could. But um, I mean, I've, I've kind of been on all three, I guess you would say. Like later on, after I was able to, my lifetime goal was to run NHRA and try to win a world championship. So I was, when I wanted to do that, I set my goal around the NHRA races and then I was able to do the, whatever I could afford to do or vacation time. That's why I kind of worked my schedule around big money races at that point. I just kind of put NHRA first when I was wanting to do that. But now like trying to race for a living, I mean, there's so many good big money bracket races that, uh, I put my schedule around that. Like I put the flings, the SFG, the millions, I put those in first and then I worked, worked back helping James this year. So I have an NHRA schedule with him. We worked around the big money races where for me in my position, I just got to be there trying to make money and do this for a living. But uh, in between that, I love running my local track at Greer. Um, they have a great point series they're going to do this year. and They've cut back the races some. So I want to make it over there every chance that I get. I just, I love racing with them. It's They're like my, I guess you said, my closest family that I've grown up with. So every chance I get, I want to be there. So, but that's kind of how I work my order. I got the big money races first. And then, then I got my schedule with James and Lori helping them. And then anytime in between, I'm either going to be at Greer's points race or I'm going to be anywhere that has a, a pretty good paying race. Yeah, I think this just really depends on what you want out of your racing. I mean, if your sole purpose is to enjoy yourself, well, then go wherever you have the most fun. You know what I mean? Whether that's if you truly enjoy racing at your local track on Saturday nights and like that does it for you, go do that. If you love the atmosphere of, you know, the, the spring fling million or, you know, some of the bigger bracket races and want to do a handful of those each year, like, go do that. If uh, w- whatever, you know, and, and my experience there too, is whenever I'm having the most fun is usually also when I perform the best. Like I, I do think that the two are interconnected on the flip side. If, if you're more focused on making money or at least justifying the expense tied up in your racing, then that's a little bit different approach. I, I think the best bang for your buck typically is the the big dollar bracket scene with some exceptions. And then kind of to Justin's point earlier, if you've got some marketing partners that need exposure for years, the only way to do that was in an HRA racing. I think now 
with the increased attention and the live streaming numbers, specifically of some of the bigger bracket races, I think that that's an option in that regard too. But obviously that's a factor in your decision. But I said all that to kind of preface my answer. If your pursuit is simply to become the best racer that you can become, then to me it requires a little bit of a balance because what you have to do is you have to win enough to increase confidence because I, I always said and still believe, will always believe that like winning breeds winning. So when you're seeing wind lights come on, regardless of the level, that helps. But at the same time, so you can't just run like, you can't be the best racer at the racetrack and run the $100 to win street class every week and just keep dominating. Like that doesn't make you any better. That brings confidence way up, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better racer because you're not constantly challenging yourself. So that's the other element. Like you have to win enough to feel like you're a good racer and, and stay confident. And that doesn't necessarily mean win races, like win enough rounds. But on the flip side, you have to constantly test yourself against the tougher competition to A, I guess, kind of see where you stand, but B, to push yourself to get better. And I feel like if you err too much on either side of it, that's a mistake. Because if you don't do anything but go to the super high level cutthroat, you know, whether it's big dollar bracket races or national events, whatever, I don't care who you are, like you're not going to win a high percentage of those. So at some point you're going to get beat down and think, I'm not very good at this. On the flip side, if you just, like I said before, run the races that have 10 cars or where you're, you know, scaling down a class from what you're capable of or what your car is capable of and you win much more than normal, much more than you should, then there is like, while your confidence will be high, you're not pushing yourself and you're not getting better. So to me, it's to really improve is a balance of the two to where you're doing whatever it takes, whether it's going to that track or running that category where you've got a little bit of a competitive advantage and you, you know, occasionally at least have some success to build that confidence. And then on the flip side, you're constantly challenging yourself against, you know, maybe higher level competition or however you want to phrase that to push to get better. I really think to improve over the long term, you need some type of balance, some type of mixture of the two. All right. So the question as we kind of wrap this up for you, the listener, is where are you falling short? in your racing or in better terms, the real question is how can you get better? Because you want to improve. You want to eliminate those mistakes. You want to increase and maximize your strength. But there are things standing in your way. Maybe, maybe you lack confidence in general. I think that's something that we've discussed. Or maybe you have built confidence, but it's easily shaken when things aren't going your way. Maybe you have anxiety for those big, tough rounds, maybe anxiety for first round. The bottom line is your car is freaking awesome and you feel like you keep getting in its way. You're not living up to your own personal expectations. And let's be honest, there's a lot riding on your performance. In this day and age, any single round can be worth hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So there's money involved, but it's more than that. We tie up a ton of time and effort into our racing. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's at least some degree of our own identity that we tie to our performance, right? So that makes losing difficult to take. And most of us in the sport are not like a one-man show or a one-woman show. 
we've got support around us, whether that's family, friends, whatever. And typically they're all well-meaning, but, and they just want to enjoy success with us and see us accomplish our dreams. But almost inevitably, that creates yet another layer of pressure that we put on ourselves. And when you combine all of that, the fact is simple. Like failure to perform sucks, right? It's hard. What if I told you that we, the, the three guys that you listen to today, KB, Justin, myself, within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we can help you regain that confidence to improve your skills, to reframe your perception of your performance. Can you become the racer that you dream of being? Hell yes. In this day and age with an open mind, like a Google search bar, a desire to learn, and a willingness to ask for help, you can become the racer that you always dreamed of being. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Just I implore you to invest in yourself. This is Bracket Racing Elite is one way to do that. Like You can probably do all of this on your own and be the racer that you dream of. Can we speed up the process? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We can speed up the process within the Cis Bracket Racing Elite. We can do that by weeding out unnecessary information, by guiding you from our experience, because to be quite frank, the three of us, we've lived it. And we can do it by offering a specific, detailed, comprehensive plan and providing direction and motivation along the way. This sounds like something that would interest you Check us out at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite today. I'm telling you, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is awesome. But again, don't take my word for it. Listen to what, of our current, what one of our current members has to say about elite. I initially chose elite because I needed a change in my racing program. Luke and Kevin's tutorials provide the guidance I needed to make the immediate changes necessary for me to feel competitive in the world of big buck bracket racing. Elite has helped me identify the gaps in how I was approaching and executing each round of competition and put a plan in place to address said gaps. Also, the sense of community and accountability keep me focused on racing throughout the work week. As a personal evaluation, I feel now I'm in the 60th percentile as a competitive bracket racer. I want to be in the 95th percentile. That's what keeps me coming back month after month to Elite. As I identify the next improvement opportunity, Luke and Kevin are there to provide their input, guidance, and feedback to address the issue. To me, Elite is one of the best investments I've made in my racing program to date. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land. Then you do the L-Ride and you come out like the world champ. I hope that you have benefited from this podcast in some form. Okay, We've shared some thoughts, some ideas that I hope that you can implement on the racetrack. But if you're serious about taking your game to the next level, I'm confident that Kevin, Justin, myself, and the members within our This Is Bracket Racing Elite community can help you make your dreams a reality. The catch, due to the immense popularity and, quite frankly, the impact of our program, we're only offering membership for a brief period of time. We're open enrollment through Friday, so you have to enroll by Friday. That's March 15th. After that, we will close the doors yet again. But if you are ready to make 2019 your best season ever, we would love to have you in This Is Bracket Racing Elite right now. To join, visit thisisbracketracing.com slash elite today. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switch and be like Jerry Pennington.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.